Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Ahoy, hoy from Portland. Ahoy, hoy. And special guest today is Andrew Cordes. Welcome, Andrew. Uh, hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. For those who aren't familiar with your name yet, would you mind introducing yourself a bit and so that they have some context of how cool you are? <laughs> sure thing. Hi, my name is Andrew. And as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm Australian. I live in, in Brisbane, in Australia. I've been doing front-end development for about 15 years now. Learned it during school and, and done it in several roles throughout my career. And presently, I'm working for a company called Fathom, and we do some accounting software, which is where I work primarily on Vue. So you said you, you got into programming during school. What interested you in that as a career path? To be honest, I never actually thought it was going to be a career for me. In school, I never studied uh, IT or computer science in any form. But I happened to just be sitting next to another fellow at lunch one day and he was reading a uh, textbook on programming and I thought to myself, oh wow, that's how you actually make software. I never knew that. And from there, I was just fascinated. I was really curious as to how you could make the computer do what you want it to do. And in my spare time, from that point onwards, I was tinkering and probably breaking my parents' computer far off, more often than I'd like to admit. But yeah, I got to learn some really, really cool things along the way. And that, that led me eventually into a career in software development. Well, that's awesome. I'm curious from that point of, oh, this is how you can make software. What led you into front-end development? Since I believe you said you're, you're a, a lead front-end engineer. Yep, so that's great. Obviously, you have some interest or passion in, in front-end development. What led you to that side of things, specifically? I was actually forced into it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I got dragged kicking and screaming into the web because I, I originally always worked on WinForms development, like WPF on, on Windows back in the day. Oh, yeah. And I absolutely loved it. I loved that you could just drag and drop things around in Visual Studio. And it was so satisfying. And I saw the web as this very fragmented, broken ecosystem that was very confusing. And anyway, my, my boss at the time, he's like, no, 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 I think the future is, is the web. And I want you to learn it and, and build our new software in it. And <laughs> I had a bit of an argument with him about it, but I, I conceded 
and started learning the web. And I built a few, a few things back in the day. And slowly I fell in love with it. At first, I hated JavaScript because I came from C sharp, which is a, you know, very elegantly, strongly typed language. And, and JavaScript was this behemoth where you never knew what this meant at <laughs> any given point in time in a function. So, but yeah, yeah, over time, I've really grown to love it. Nice. Well, I must say that probably wasn't a very inaccurate statement of the web at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, it's getting from, a lot better every day. From my personal learning path, I avoided JavaScript like the plague for a long time just because it looked, the, the syntax looked terrible. I saw the, the browser fragmentation and I was just, you know what? I can do anything I need in PHP. I'm just going to stick on the back end. Anything I need to do, I'll just render it as a template and <laughs> yeah. hopefully people will live with it. So it, it took me a long time to, to come around to thinking, you know, JavaScript's actually kind of useful and it doesn't look as terrible anymore. Yeah. So I, I, I can I can relate to that reaction, especially if you're coming from C sharp. Yeah. <laughs> but that seems like a very strong contrast. But maybe we all just have some form of Stockholm syndrome with JavaScript to um, <laughs> our, our presser. <laughs> I, I'm digressing from what I was going to ask, but how do you feel about TypeScript uh, as a C sharp developer, or at least a former C sharp developer? I absolutely love it. Yeah. Back in the day, uh, when I first moved over to JavaScript, TypeScript was a very, very new thing. And it was a little bit buggy, to be honest. It was really, really difficult to get working well in your development environment. So I pushed back on it. And then I got used to the, just the fluidity of, of not specifying types. And, but now that TypeScript has really stabilized in, in more recent years and become more, more of a developer norm in the front end. The tooling has become fantastic and it's something that I really honed my skills in on and something that, as we talk about later, you'll notice about Harlem, it's very TypeScript-centric. Nice. Speaking of Harlem and, and to a greater extent, Vue, as you were getting into the Vue, or not Vue, into the JavaScript ecosystem and, and doing more with that, what led you to using Vue as your as a framework of choice? I'm assuming you had some input at that uh, as you were working at Fathom. Yeah, so I started using Vue before it's even uh, 1.0 release. Uh, oh, I wow. can't even re remember how I saw it. I think it came up on some developer news somewhere. And it was this new emerging framework. And uh, at the time, I was working in Angular you know, 1.x. can't even remember what version it was, which was really you know, fantastic at the time. It, was, it introduced me to this concept of reactive programming where you could change something on a data model and, and have the view update accordingly. But Angular, <laughs> as anyone who's ever worked with version one of it will know, it was it was a bit of a struggle, like string templates and you know, manually updating scope and doing all sorts of weird, strange things. But when Vue came out, it was just so simple. It was so elegant. It had sort of the best parts of Angular and React blended together in this really easy to use and easy to understand library. So I just started tinkering with it and making some new projects with it. And yeah, I fell in love with it. Um, and yeah, one last thing I will say on Vue is that the documentation has always been absolutely awesome. Um, even from day one, I think Evan's put a lot of emphasis on ensuring that the documentation is very clear and, and easy to follow. And that's something that I've, I've always really appreciated about Vue. That's really interesting to hear your, I'm going to say it, your view on Vue. Uh, 
especially coming from pre 1.0, I'm curious as the framework has evolved over time, version one, version two, now version three, what has it been like for you as somebody who's been here, quote unquote, from the beginning, you've, you've been able to watch it evolve. You've watched the community kind of take shape around it. What's that been like for you? It's been a really interesting journey. It's been great to see it grow from such a small framework and, and to be part of that. There have been a few times of frustration, like going from two points, something to two point, two point five or so. I can't remember the exact version change, but there were a few breaking changes in there. And we had a very big project at the time that was a bit of a, a struggle to upgrade certain parts. And even now, as a company, as we move things to V3, it's, um, it's taken us pretty much this entire year to move it to V3. But that's a choice that we made to, to completely redo things in composition API. But yeah, it's been really cool to just see these amazing features come forward, like name slots and scope slots and the automatic attribute inheritance has always been something really, really cool. And even the newer things like the composition API or vMemo. And these are really some, some forward thinking ideas that we, we absolutely love using. That's so cool to hear. I got into Vue during the Vue 2 time. I don't remember exactly when. I know it was before 2.6. Yeah, I don't remember exactly, but I remember some of those changes that you were talking about with how slots work. And yeah, it's just been really interesting seeing how the the framework evolves, how the community changes around it. And that's actually part of what we want to talk about today, especially with Vue 3. There's been a lot of changes because of the Composition API in how people approach building Vue applications. And I think you, you can confirm this, Andrew, since you've been around so long. But I feel like this is the first really big change in a long time in how a Vue application is constructed. Because for its entirety, I believe, we've always had just the options API. Components are structured in a certain way. And now with the composition API, there's this completely different way of thinking about Vue, which has been leading to some very interesting experiments and uh, libraries being developed. Does that sound at all accurate to you? Yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree with, with what you've said there. I'd say the change from one to from version one to version two, um, although big, it wasn't a core syntactical change or, or um, it, it didn't fundamentally change your authorship, except for maybe the exception of single file components. But yeah, Vue, Vue3 has been a, a monstrous change, uh, one that I think is amazing. I, I absolutely love the Composition API. And particularly the script setup uh, syntax, and if you're using single mm -hmm. file components. I think these two things combined have been absolutely incredible uh, as a Vue developer. Yeah, one of the, the things, and this, this is directly tying into our topic of the day. One of the things I've really seen, even when Composition API wasn't fully stable, it wasn't officially released, Vue3 was still in development, but people were saying, hey, you don't need Vuex anymore. You can just make your own global state. <laughs> and we started to see things like Pinya or, I mean, I've done my own experimentation with creating a, a custom store. Just, you know, it was a very domain specific, so it's not something I would ever release to the public or anything it was for one application. But you can do that kind of thing with a lot more power and flexibility than you could before because you're just using the, the reactivity engine that Vue is powered by anyway. So I, I feel like with the Composition API, we've we've seen other libraries like Vue Use providing a lot of functionality that aren't components. 
but we're also seeing this renaissance, as it were, of, of global state management options in view. And I think that's something that as a community, we've looked at React, for example, and been like, oh, there's too many options. How, how can you know which one to use? Should you use any of them? But we've, we've always been able to say, well, in Vue, we just use Vuex. Uh, but now we don't. Now we have these options. And you you have written one of them. So I'm very interested in your opinion on this and what brought you to creating Harlem. So I guess where I would like to start is, could, would you mind describing what Harlem is and what inspired you to create it? Yeah, sure thing. So Harlem is a global state management solution. It uses specifically the composition API syntax. It's written in TypeScript. And it's a very, very simple a very, very simple way of doing state management. And when I say simple, I don't necessarily mean that it's underpowered. I, I just mean that it's a, it's a very straightforward product to use if you're coming from the composition API. As to what led me to create it, so I've used Vuex pretty much from day dot, having worked on, on Vue in, in quite large projects. And I've seen it scale up to the needs that our team has had, which has been you know, several, several, several sub-modules and hundreds, if not maybe thousands of getters, mutations and actions. And it's been, it's been a, a mixed journey. While it's absolutely powerful and, and does its job very well for the most part, it has been quite cumbersome to use in later times. It's, it's very strict, very rigid. And so when V3 came out and I saw that the composition API was you know, sort of the new way of, of going forward. I thought it was a great opportunity to reevaluate state. And, and yeah, as you said, Lindsay, there was a lot of people creating these very simple global state management solutions, just a reactive object and some computed spaghettis that are feeding off that. And, you know, away you go, you've got state management. And really at its core, that's all Harlem is. It's, it's a single reactive object that's wrapped in a read-only call before it's given out uh, publicly. So it enforces immutability and getters really are just computed, <laughs> computed values. Everything else is built around a pub sub event messaging system that I use to handle things like triggers and I can make it more deterministic. So I can predict state changes and do things like tracing and DevTools integration. We can do, you know, asynchronous actions with uh, cancellation, uh, asynchronous getters. There's a, a few cool things that I've been able to bend Harlem to do uh, through extensions and through the event messaging system. So one of the ways that I like to understand something new is to sort of re- be able to relate it to something that I'm already familiar with. So when I'm looking at your documentation on your uh, under core concepts, you talk about defining a store. To me, it looks like what you call a store is maybe what we would call a module in Vuex in that you can create a specific container, for lack of a better word, for certain things. Like you could have a user store and a product store and a post store, you know, whatever you want to do. Is that is that a correct description? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's Sorry, I'll just elaborate on that a bit, Steve, if you'd like. Go for it. It's it's a little bit different to Vuex in that Vuex is probably more of a hierarchical type store. So it's a singular monolithic state tree where modules in Vuex were these sort of subtrees of that, and you could choose to namespace them or not. So if you namespaced it, it would be treated as its own thing, whereas if you didn't, it was considered a 
part of the root store and all blended into one. The difference with Harlem is that it's probably more like a SQL database. So think of a store a little bit like a table where each one is relational and you can choose to share information between those should you want to. So just by default JavaScript structure, you're talking about sharing between the two as a what you have one, two different stores and you can import one into the other and share things that way or or how how, how are we talking about sharing yeah so you can share it uh, purely just through javascript imports okay so you can import state from another store into one particular store and you can share state between them or you can have getters inside getters because at the end of the day you're really just using views reactivity system so it's just the it's really just the same way you would author view components Okay, so if I had some user data and using a blog example, I have user data and I have posts, I would be able to import posts into user. And then if you're fetching a user, I could inject the right posts and just do some basic JavaScript accessing a getter that gets posts for this user. Does that sound accurate? Yep, that's absolutely right. And it looks like the the syntax around building a store and accessing data is very straightforward. Like you're saying, it's just computed properties wrapped around this, this concept of a getter that you you have access to the state object. So this, this seems really simple to get started and working. It's all just functions. And you can choose to put those functions wherever you'd like. You can export them however you would like. They're not, um, they're not bound to one specific object that you have to pass around. So the beauty of it is that you can, you can structure your store any way you want um, and make it fit into your architecture as opposed to having to make your architecture fit around your state management solution. So I noticed that you you follow the, the Vuex pattern of having state getters, mutations, and actions, as well as triggers, and I want to get to that later. I'm curious what your reasoning was for keeping both mutations and actions. I know, if I remember right in the in the development branch of Vuex, for example, they're considering dropping actions. In Pinya, I believe there aren't any actions. So it, it feels like there's this trend of dropping that one step from the Flux model for view based global state management. What was your thinking when you added it, mutations and actions together? Yeah, this is this is probably one of the more frequent questions that I get asked around Harlem is, is why it has mutations. Like you said, a, a lot of libraries are doing away with the concept of it. And while I agree with it to, to some degree in principle, I think that mutations still hold a very significant place in state management, purely just due to the difference in nature between an action and a mutation. So a mutation, the way I understand it, uh, is a synchronous granular function that is used to update a very specific part of state, whereas an action is a consolidation of uh, asynchronous logic. You might have a network request or, you know, something else in there where you're contacting a server. You might be going out to a web worker and doing something asynchronous that way, but you're coupling it with several mutations in that as well. And I find that when you try to track anything asynchronously, in programming, it's, it's very, very difficult because asynchronous programming is sort of undeterministic. It can occur in different orders and it can finish at different times. And to do like a deterministic system that, that Harlem is where we can predict state changes based on the input to it, that gets really, really blurred in, in actions. And, and leading on to what you brought up before, Lindsay, as well, talking about triggers. So, Keeping mutations has allowed Harlem to create a feature called triggers, which is 
where you can react to a mutation in state. So you can basically say, when this changes, I want to do this. And it's very, very fast because it doesn't use diffing. It doesn't use views watching. It assumes that uh, Harlem is a closed tight-knit system and that your changes are deterministic. Okay. So by continuing to include that functionality as part of the, the library, the goal is anything that's modifying state can be part of Harlem and you're not spreading your code out into multiple potential, oh, what's the right word? It's not sources of truth because you only have one source of truth, but you're, you're, you're trying to consolidate everything into a single location. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Harlem is, is very strict around the immutability. So mm. state is always read-only um, in public areas. So where you're passing it around, you can't just go changing things. The only way to actually change state is through a mutation. And that's how we're able to audit how state is changed and trace events and update dev tools and things like that without having to diff or do any patching. But I will say, just as a final note, you don't have to have a mutation if you don't want to. So if you just want to use actions, uh, people can go have a look at the actions documentation for Harlem, but there is a helper function that's provided to you inside the action body where you can just mutate state within there and it will still be auditable and um, traceable in your dev tools. Oh, okay. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So if you wanted to make mutations in an action, you don't have to make that a separate thing, a separate function. You can just do it as part of your action. Yeah, absolutely. Although mutations are a core concept of Harlem, uh, they are optional if you are using actions. You can you can go entirely throughout your project just using actions, and you, you never have to define a single mutation. That's interesting. I like the uh, the flexibility there. If you want to go one way, you can. If you want to go the other, it's still available to you. I got a question for you in regards to actions. In your, I wanted to know if you could expand on this a little more. In the documentation, it says because action implementations vary widely, Harlem doesn't include any actions by default in the core package, but instead through an optional extension. So I wondered if you could maybe expand on that a little more. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I have noticed over the years of building like probably larger scale uh, products using state management is that people use actions very, very differently per project. Uh, there's different requirements per project. Some are very simple. That's just a function. may not even be asynchronous. You just do some stuff in it and change state. Whereas some more complex use cases like the company I work at, we, we need to do you know, nested actions and we need cancellation tokens so that we can terminate long-running requests to our server and these are all things that it's really helpful to have built into your core business logic, which is our, our state management solution. So I chose not to include 
a action format, a, a very specific way of doing actions in the core Harlem library to not enforce any standards on people's projects and to keep the size down. So it's very lightweight for very light projects. And if you want to use uh, Harlem Actions, you get a really, a really rich, full-featured set uh, straight away. So you, you get cancellation and status tracking and child actions and um, auditability. So there's a, you sort of get <laughs> all or nothing, but it, it allows you to, to author them any way you want. So I'm going to ask, did you have another question, Steve? Uh, no, we can get to it later. Just another feature I wanted to address. Okay. I wanted to ask a question from the FAQ, more because I want to have it on record here as well. So Harlem looks really cool. I'm thinking, you know, this, this looks fun. I could implement a side project. I've got one or two projects right now that Vuex feels cumbersome to use. This looks much easier. I love the TypeScript integration. But is it suitable for a larger project? If I was going to start implementing something that grew and grew and grew and a company was going to use it, is that, is this a fit for that use case? Is it ready for production use in that sense? I would say yes. We use it at the company that I work at in production, and it's running on a scale of probably five to 600 mutations and actions with several getters and things like that. So it's, and probably that's distributed across six or seven different stores and it doesn't miss a beat. So Harlem has definitely been stress tested on quite large projects. And yeah, from, from what I've noticed, it, it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. And I do quite rigorous. Uh, memory testing on it. Harlem's completely unit tested uh, as well. So all new changes are, are tested as part of the release process. So my official recommendation is use, use with caution, I suppose, like any, any new software or new library, use at your own risk. But I would say, yes, it's, it's good to go. So a couple of features that I saw, I'm looking at the, at your GitHub readme that I appreciate is, and I, I realized once I saw this, that you sort of take it for granted how Vuex, at least with Vue 2, is, is part of Vue is the DevTools plugin. Because I know that I use that quite extensively on my Vue projects, just looking at state, seeing what's available in a given component. You know, what are the different uh, steps that have been run, mutations and stuff. So it didn't occur to me, that, yeah, you'd need a separate DevTools plugin since it's not really part of the core. Yeah, so... The DevTools plugin is a, um, a separate package as well. And this is, again, just to keep the core package really lightweight. And for some very, very small projects, you may not even need to <laughs> bother looking in your stores. But the, yeah, the DevTools package is uh, very, very useful for exploring all of your stores. You can see them in one place. You can see all of your, your state and your getters and your mutations and actions. But the extensions to Harlem also have access to track things through the DevTools. So the lazy extension that allows you to author asynchronous getters, that will show up in your DevTools as well. So you can see getters that are executing asynchronously and it will update your DevTools uh, once they complete and an update state. And if you're looking at authoring your own extension, you have full access to add things to, to Harlem's DevTools that can be tracked. So I'm, I'm looking at this DevTool thing and how I, I haven't built a library that needs to integrate with Vue DevTools. Is this a new feature that they're adding in the, the new version of the DevTools? When did how does this work? Yeah, so it's been it's been pretty cool to be honest. 
I, I honestly, I've never really even looked into trying to integrate with the Vue 2 dev tools, but I remember seeing when V3 was getting released that they planned on creating a public API for creating inspection panels and things like that for the V3 dev tools where you could put pretty much whatever you want in there. And they've been true to their word. It's been, it's been great. So you basically just import the, the dev tools API um, and interface with that and through no doubt a complex architecture of calling, you know, serializing JSON across threads through Chrome, you can post data and events and things like that over to the dev tools and, and describe to it uh, the layout and, and what to do. But you can also handle events coming back. So Harlem supports updating your state from the dev tools. So in the dev tools, you can just click on a property in your state tree and change it and, and I'll update that in your store uh, using the mutation. So it's this very cool bi-directional communication that's been made public, which I think is a, is a game changer for anyone who's authoring uh, development experiences. And I would assume that just, and this is totally off topic of Harlem specifically, but I would assume that you could use this for, like I'm just building a view application. I want to be able to enable or disable certain states, or I want to trigger some sort of event I could write an extension to the Vue DevTools that just lets me do that kind of thing. Like not specifically integrating with Vuex or anything, just like I want to trigger this event in my application, like an API error just fired or you know something for visual testing, making sure your app is working in the way that you expect. And you would be able to do that because like you're saying, it's bi-directional. Is that accurate? Yep, absolutely. So even like one particular use case at the company I work at, at the moment at Fathom, we, we have our own dev tools that our front end team have written to inspect parts of our products. So our reporting product, you can see the report structure and things like that. And you can communicate from the dev tools back into our product. And to do that, I had to write our own Chrome dev tools, which was a, a rather cumbersome process. But yeah, going forward, I'm strongly considering just plugging into the view dev tools and whacking what I need in there and, and handling events back and forth. It's just a lot simpler. It, it really lowers that barrier of being able to control your application through your your developer tools. That is so cool. I worked at, on one project where we were wanting to build our own dev tools, but there's no time for that. It just would have been really nice <laughs> and, and convenient. So having this sort of integration is just amazing to me. Building your own dev tools is a it's a black hole for time and, and oh, for absolutely. patience, I think. <laughs> in in our case, what ended up happening is we had an electron app that suddenly the the business departments were were learning about and we had to shut down so they didn't ask for new features. Uh, oh, this would have been so much simpler. So I'm curious, since I have not personally written a view library, either view two or view three, what was that experience like? It's just getting started on Harlem testing, packaging, in case there's anyone listening who wants to build something. Not, I mean, Harlem is amazing, so nobody needs to build more state management. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, somebody who wants to build a package in Vue, what was your experience like? What would you recommend if somebody's wanting to start building something? So building for Vue specifically, I'd say fantastic. You know, the, the Vue core team have done an amazing job at making sure that Vue is very modular and you can import just the packages you need and, and you rely on. So for instance, if you only use Vue's reactivity system, you just import Vue reactivity. If you need access to the compiler or anything like that, you can import that as separate components. You don't have to import the entire uh, Vue package. So yeah, authoring for Vue, very, very good. 
I would say related to that, but slightly separate, trying to write just a NPM package in general uh, is a bit of a nightmare. Like the package JSON file has always been a little bit muddy <laughs> to, to say the least. There's fields in there that just change all the time. It can be confusing to know do I use the main field or do I use the module field? And how does a bundler interpret the entry point? And do I need to bundle for the browser? And so I'm not like, I don't, I don't want to put anyone off or anything, but just if you are going to author a package, I would say do a fair bit of research on the package JSON structure and how modern bundlers like Vite and Webpack and Rollup uh, interpret that and how they crawl your source code. Also, how you integrate TypeScript and ensure your types are correctly uh, bundled and distributed with your package. But there's a lot of great tools out there that help do this for you. So if you are looking to write a package, I can say straight off off the bat, if you're doing TypeScript, there's a tool called TSUP, which uses ESBuild to do packaging. It's amazing. I think it's Jason Miller, the guy who writes Preact, has written an, a package called MicroBundle. That's what he uses to bundle up Preact into a library. That's also fantastic. And I think another one was like pick a pack or something from the snowpack team. So there's a lot of help out there and a lot of great tooling. So if you want to create something, I say go for it. Awesome. Before we move away from Harlem, just curious, are there any specific use cases where Harlem, in your opinion, would not be the right choice? Or is Harlem able to kind of cover all of the use cases that you found at least? Well, yeah, I'm going to be biased, but, but oh, um, be biased, yeah. <laughs> personally, I think I think Harlem can can handle all the different use cases. That being said, I don't want to just sort of sit here and go, "You should only use Harlem." You know, Pina and and even the new version of UX that will come out soon is fantastic. There's some other community-driven state management solutions that are fantastic. So, at the end of the day, I would say. Just pick the tool that is right for the job that you feel comfortable using, that you that fits well in your architecture and that you enjoy using. And that's not going to be a maintenance headache. And if that even means just making your own little simple state management system with a reactive object, then kudos, do that. As much as I would love for you, you guys to all use Harlem. Um, <laughs> Definitely recommend. Go check it out. So one question I have is, where did the name Harlem come from? I know being an American, I think of New York City. <laughs> I know there's a city, I believe, what, in the Netherlands or it's uh, a district or something. So I'm just curious to see where that name came from. Yeah, this is going to be pretty difficult for me to explain in a coherent way. Were, why were you drunk when you came um, up with it? Is that why? Or? Uh, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, so when I started building it, one of the foundational principles that I wanted to be at the heart of Harlem is tree shakeability. So if you write a whole bunch of logic for your store, as like a series of actions or getters that you don't end up using, you don't import them into your app, I don't want you to have to incur the cost of that. And so tree shaking was a real core part of my uh, thought process there. And I originally wanted to call it something like Treehouse, but I think <laughs> I think the domain was taken or something, or it was taken on npm and this is going to be a weird tangent but the only other thing that really came to my mind from there was the harlem shake uh, i'm not sure if you're aware of that it's like a a dance craze i remember that well, I think I, was it the stones that had the harlem shuffle or somebody had the harlem shuffle but yes i'm remembering the harlem shake now okay yeah so i thought hey harlem sounds pretty cool it's a 
It's a district in New York. Not that I've ever been there. I would love to go there. <laughs> and yeah, just went from there. Huh, I like the connection. Tree shake ability, Harlem, Harlem shake. You know, I think personal opinion, though, <laughs> you know, considering that that's where the name is based on, I think you need to have a Harlem shake video embedded on your docs page or maybe a little explanation there with a link to it, you know, or just something that shows a Harlem shake. So I think it would make your the project stand out for sure, being dance related. Yeah, I might, I might have to consider writing a Harlem extension that you can call a function that just starts shaking all the elements on your page in your application. Either that or pops up a video in a modal or something like that, maybe. <laughs> you could always uh, get your mascot animated and have it do some dancing. True, that's, that's a fantastic idea. This is great. Any final thoughts? Harlem view future of view anything before we move on yeah look i'm excited for view i'm excited for where it's going i think it's moving in the right direction becoming more functional the authoring of components is is all a lot simpler now so yeah i'm, I'm very excited for the future of view and and for the future of harlem excellent i am also excited for the future of harlem i i know i made a comparison to uh to the React ecosystem with having all the different state management. But really, I feel like it's important to have these different flavors so that as developers, we can see these different takes on things and different ways of implementing solutions. And that's really what's going to make us better as developers. That's what that's what made Vue what it is, uh, kind of like you said at the beginning, Andrew, with yeah. comparing against Angular and React, Evan was able to create something in between. And I feel like that's important for the open source community and just the developer community in general. Absolutely. Awesome. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. At this point, we will move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we share things we like with the community. It doesn't have to be anything programming related. Andrew, you've been talking this whole time, so I'm going to give you a quick break. Uh, Steve, would you like to go I first go. or should I? I'm actually prepared. So right. I have a pick other than my eagerly anticipated dad jokes. It's a website called phrasegenerator.com. And it has apparently a pool of different words and Clicking a randomized button will generate all kinds of different uh, phrases, such as the, some of the categories it has are academic quotes, BDB, Bible quotes, financial advice, headlines, political rhetoric, and wine reviews. So, for instance, if you for financial advice, you might get in OTC sectors, always amortize uncovered asset pools. Yeah. Or uh, wine reviews, for instance, uh, Chateau Jones mixes forgettable Cool Whip midtones and a Snap Crackle Pop cannabis flavor in their 2001 Bordeaux. So it's uh, it's got great, a lot of fun stuff that you can come up with that, unfortunately, would actually sound legit to some people who are into that kind of speak. But uh, it's a, seems like a fun tool. Reminds me of uh, when I was back at a my first software company. I had a uh, a little meme joke thing called Wank Word Bingo. I don't know if anybody's seen this. I've seen it under different names, but you could take it to like an all hands meeting or some sort of presentation. It would have all kinds of gibberish phrases that were presentation. It would have all kinds of gibberish phrases that were very end up and yell bingo. Although I never heard anybody do it, but uh, reminds me of, brings back those memories. Let's put it that way. 
So now for the dad jokes, I actually have three today and they're all up to very high standards unless you ask my 10-year-old son, but that's another story. So first of all, what is the difference between a cat and a complex sentence? Anybody know? Got any guesses? I'll take that as a no. Okay. A cat have a clue. has claws at the end of its paws and a complex sentence has a pause at the end of its claws. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, that one is sort of complex, as they say. So here's a here's a more simple question. Why do birds fly to warmer climes in the winter? Because it's much easier than walking. It's true. Can you imagine those birds on their short legs walking all that way? Yes, it would. I would say that's for the birds. But anyway, and then uh, I had a doctor's appointment recently, and my doctor's normally pretty smart. But this time I was telling him, doctor, I have a case of diarrhea. What should I do? He said, buy a new case. <laughs> that, those are my picks for the day. Rough. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. Andrew, do you have a pick that you would like to share? I do. It's, uh, it's not as entertaining as a dad joke, but there's this app that I absolutely love. I've been using lately called Raycar. Speak it, brother. Um, and it's, it's I love myself some Mac, recast, so. yes. <laughs> yeah, so I've fallen in love with this thing. It's a replacement for Spotlight on Mac, and it is absolutely awesome. Just the things that you can do <laughs> without touching Yeah, Mac. I actually used it to replace Alfred. Right. I've been using Alfred, which is better than Spotlight. Uh, it's very similar to Raycast in that it's extensible, and, and you can add different actions and stuff. Raycast is cool that you can create scripted things. You can add your own custom links and so on. But it also has a lot of really neat built-in commands. One that I've been using quite a bit has to do with window management. So you can focus on a uh, a particular application that you're using. And then there's all kinds of built-in applications uh, or commands, like uh, next display will move your application over to another display if you have multiples. And then all kinds of sizing and location things like first two-thirds, last three-fourths, top left quarter, and so on. And then the one the one I like that I use quite a bit, too, is uh, uh, easy search of your bookmarks. So if you want to search for certain text and you've got a bunch and you don't want to plow through them, it's a real quick way to search your, your bookmarks. But it's free and it's open source, which is really cool about it, too. Yeah, I've been using yes. it <laughs> to search oh, GitHub yes. and NPM because I find searching GitHub <laughs> through Raycast is actually yeah, it's really cool. You, I forgot GitHub about that. You itself, create so. issues, you can yeah. search issues, you can do all kinds of different GitHub features. Yeah, I I've been hanging out on the React podcast Discord, and last couple of days everyone has been talking about how amazing Raycast is. Somebody wrote a custom script that lets them open up their current projects in VS Code. They just have a list of their projects, and they can click on one, and it opens VS Code to that project. That seems really cool. Thank you. I have a couple picks today. So I found a game that even if you don't play games, you might want to check this out just to see it because it's entertaining. It is a game called Timberborn. The premise is humans are long gone and beavers have risen up to take over the world. And so you would think. So you are leading a group of beavers to play a city building game you get to build houses and towers and things you recreate the world around you building dams because of course you do you're a beaver and i just learned about this game today it's an early access on steam so i haven't played it myself yet but it looks just the graphics are nice the the audio at the beginning of the video the introducing the game is hysterical don't get me started on the humans 
really fun stuff. Recommend checking it out. Even if you don't end up playing it, just check it out just to see the the things. Do, that are hold on, uh, Lindsay. Do they fight ducks too? Uh, second, this is a. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I haven't gotten that far. They should. That'd be nice. My second pick is sometimes when you're doing an audio based podcast, you have trouble with your browser, especially if you're using a Chromium one that is required, but it tends to freeze up. So if you're having trouble like that, Steve, another browser that might come in handy is the Microsoft Edge browser. Uh, I believe I saw a demo in the last week or two of it being released on Linux. So it is available on all major platforms, including macOS and Linux. And it's just Chrome. You know, it's a Chromium browser, but it has some nice features included. One of the things I like about it, I don't use it as my as my main browser, but one thing I do like about it is instead of having your tabs on the top where they get all really tiny and stuff, if you have too many, you can tile them on the left side by default. Like no extensions required. It's just, it's over on the left. And then you can scroll through it more like your bookmarks. Yes, I must I must say that the issues I've been having with Brave have so, really put me on the edge. Yes. <laughs> so if you too are on the edge, get Microsoft Edge. So that's my second pick. And then third, this is just a shout out to the React Podcast Discord channel. It's a, it's a wonderful place to just hang out. Even if you're not, doing React, like that's not their focus. Their focus is just being a wonderful dev community. And if you haven't listened to any of the interviews with Chantastic, Michael Chan, he is just a wonderful person. And the community that's formed around that is also a wonderful place. It's very, it's a place where a lot of curious and just strong developers are gathered to, to talk about things. We've had really fun discussions about future of Vite, uh, future of things like Astro and Slinkity, and just... I highly recommend it if you're looking for a wonderful community of developers to hang out with. Don't have a specific link for it, but if you look up the React podcast, you'll be able to find an invite to Discord from there. So those are my picks. Andrew, where can people find you online if they want to continue this conversation or learn more about Harlan? Uh, you can find me on GitHub if you just search my name or my personal Twitter account. It's just Twitter slash Andrew Cordes. Or I have a Harlem JS Twitter account as well, which is uh, just Harlem State JS. Excellent, thank you, and thanks again for coming on the show. This has been a great episode. No worries, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course, hope you all enjoyed this episode as well. If you have, you can find more of us online at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. You can also find us on Twitter at viewsonview, where we tweet out all the episodes as they come out. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay K Wardell. You can find Steve on Twitter at Wonder95. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you again next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.